Well, thank you so much, band. I'd invite you to uh, grab a seat. That was awesome. Thanks so much, Mahalia and crew. I'd love to introduce myself as well. My name is Chris. I'm part of the leadership team here at Beyond. And I just want to let you know right up front, if you have chosen this as your first night to come to Beyond, you've picked the best time. It's always a good time uh, to come to Beyond, but when we launch a series, uh, that is one of the best times for it to be your first time along to Beyond. And we're really excited because tonight we're launching a brand new series and it's a little different to any other series that we've ever done here in that you have helped us create it. So you have helped us and and all throughout this series, we're going to be hearing from you and we're going to be dialoguing with some of your responses. And this series is called, I Can't Believe in a God Who... And the way we crafted this series was we thought, you know, our vision here is to create a church that unchurched people love to attend. No, not a church for unchurched people, but one that if you've got no church background or limited church background, you could come and you could feel like, hey, I actually like coming to church, which is often the opposite of what what a lot of us us feel. And so uh, because of that, we have a lot of great questions. We have a lot of great questions that come from people who have been to church their whole life, we have a lot of great people, uh, questions from people who are just re-engaging with church for the first time in a long time. And we have a lot of great questions from people who maybe don't uh, even know if God exists and they're wrestling through that themselves. And really our agenda throughout this entire series, because some of you are probably sitting there wondering like, what's the catch? Where are you going? Our agenda is really, really simple. We want to encourage you to continue to ask questions. If you grew up in a church where you asked questions and you were told, we don't talk about that stuff here. If you asked questions and you were told, look, those kind of questions, they stay over here. Or if you were told, you just got to believe, we want, we want to kind of push that to the side and we want to encourage you to ask questions. And maybe if some of you kind of asked your Christian friends questions and you're like, hey, can you explain this to me? And they were like, oh, look, just because the Bible says... We want, we want to let you know that is not a good enough answer. We don't think that's a good enough answer. And we want to continue to, for you to encourage you to ask your questions. And we want to continue to make this a safe space where you can ask those questions. So before we launch off, I just want to let you know where we're going throughout this series. Because tonight, what we're going to do is like sort of lay the foundation for the rest of this series for where we're going. But in the next couple of weeks, uh, we're going to be talking, um, it's a four-part series. So in part two, we're going to talk about the idea of I can't believe in a God who allows bad things to happen to good people. That was one of the most asked about questions. And so we're going to address that. We're going to spend an entire week on that next week. Uh, I can't believe in a God who allows good things to happen to bad people. Uh, In part three, we're going to look at this idea of, I can't believe in a God who seems so distant. I prayed to him. He didn't answer my prayer. I asked for help in a certain area of my life, relationally, financially, for a job. He didn't come through. I can't believe in a God who seems so distant when I go to church and everyone else seems to be experiencing God and everyone else seems to be talking to God, but not me. So we're going to talk about that. And then in part four, this was was actually the most asked question. Um, In part four, we're going to address the idea of, I can't believe in a God who sent his son to earth to die. That was, that was the most asked question. So we're going to wrap the entire series up using that, uh, looking at that question. But tonight we're going to start and we're going to launch this series around one word. Uh, it's a word that actually Christians in the first century, first right through about the third century, were labelled. It is not a label that you would consider uh, Christianity to fall under today. In fact, when you hear this label and when you hear this word, it is the furthest thing from Christianity a lot of the time. 
when you hear this word, you'll think of like, I hear Christians fighting with these kinds of people. I hear these kinds of people fighting with Christians. And you may have a whole heap of different um, ideas and thoughts in your mind that label uh, or that come along with this word. But the word that Christians were referred to in the first sort of three centuries of the Jesus movement was this word, atheist. Christians in the first three centuries, when the Jesus movement began, Christians were not referred to as Christians because no one knew what Christians were. They were kind of called followers of Jesus or atheists. And there was, a, there was a couple of reasons that they were referred to as atheists. First of all, the Jesus movement began under the Roman Empire. And the Roman Empire had a, had a whole heap, it had a pantheon of gods. And so the, the three, there's a couple of reasons why Christians were referred to atheists, and this is the first one. The first one is that they didn't worship a whole pantheon of gods. In fact, Christians said, no, 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 we, we don't want to worship any of these gods because we believe there's only one God to worship. And the Romans were kind of confused. They were like, hang on a minute, like, you only have one God? Can it be in our pantheon? They're like, no, it, it's, it's above all, like, th- th- we don't believe those gods exist. And they were so confused. And then the second reason that, uh, that Christians were referred to as atheists is that they, they didn't worship Caesar as their God. So in, in that day and age, the Roman emperor, emperor when you uh, became the emperor, if you were lucky enough, you entered a godlike status. You became a god, and you were kind of the god among mortals. And Christians said, we won't worship the Roman emperor because we don't believe he's god. We just think he's a man. And then, then the other thing, the, really, the third thing that kind of really tripped the Greeks out and the Romans out a little bit was that, that Christians didn't make idols of their gods. Now, if you think of the, the Greek pantheon of gods, you've probably seen images of Hercules and Zeus and Poseidon with his spear. And, and Christians, they didn't do that. They said that, that, no, that our God uh, actually lives within us. That our God came to earth in the form of Jesus and, and, then he, and then he ascended back to heaven. We know where our God is. We don't need to make an idol to kind of look at him. We know where our God is. We can talk to our God whenever we want. We don't need an idol to do it. And that kind of really tripped the Romans out. And so what they did was they, they said, well, you don't fit into our box. This is, what, this is what people who worship God look like, and you don't fit into that box. Therefore, Christians are atheists. If anyone follows Jesus, lump them in that box of atheists because their belief system just does not make sense. And this trend followed all the way through for the first kind of couple of centuries of Christianity. And I'm going to show you in a minute a little piece of, of a text because um, in, in, in around 155 to 157 AD, so after the death of Jesus, about 150 years after that, there was still this dispute going on. People were still not sure. They're like, all these atheists over there, and the Christians are like, we're not atheists. We worship God, just not the way that you do it. And there was this really smart, like, really smart uh, Christian. There's a lot of smart Christians, but it sounds like there's not. But anyway, there's this really smart dude, uh, and his, he was kind of the first theologian, sort of first philosopher, kind of thinker in the Christian realm, and his name was Justin Martyr. And the emperor at the time, the Roman emperor, his name was Antonius Pius, and that might probably doesn't mean anything to you. He was the dude before Marcus Aurelius, who was in Gladiator, if you've seen that movie. Some of the figures were, were legit, but just to kind of, if you're a history buff, to place it. And Emperor Antonius Pius was like, I've got no idea what these Christians are on about. Doesn't make sense to me, they're atheists, someone explain. And so Justin Martyr, he decided to take it upon himself to write what is now known as the first apology. In the Greek, the word apology means defense. So he wrote a defense and he addressed it to Antonius Pius and he said, hey, I want you to know what we believe. 
I want you to know what separates Christianity and some of the tensions, some of the struggles you're having in identifying it and separating it from the Roman and the Greek pantheon of gods. But he did it in this really interesting way. And that he addressed some of the questions and some of the tensions that Antonius was having. He said, hey, look, this is what you believe. Now let's track backwards and I'll show you what we believe. Instead of just kind of saying, hey, this is what you, we believe. If you don't believe it, unlucky for you, you've got to believe it. He kind of went on his level. He said, let's find some common ground. And I want to just read to you where he found that common ground. And this is an extract from that document, 100, uh, 155, 157 um, AD. And he writes this. He says, hence, we are called atheists. And now we confess that we are atheists. So Justin Martyr saying, hey, we're the Christians and we are atheists. I'll put my hand up, we agree. And we confess that we are atheists so far as gods of this sort are concerned. In other words, the, the reason you're having such a hard time fitting us in this box is because you have a whole heap of gods in your pantheon. We, don't, we only believe that there's one God. We actually don't believe that those gods exist to begin with. So you believe they exist, we don't believe. That's why it's so confusing for you. And then he goes on, but not with respect to the most true God. We don't believe in Poseidon, but that doesn't make us an atheist because we believe there's only one God. We believe you guys have got it slightly, slightly wrong. I can understand where you're coming from, but this is, and we can understand why you'd call us atheists, but this is what we believe. And interestingly enough, uh, a really famous biologist uh, in our modern time kind of echoes these thoughts in his book. His name's Richard Dawkins, and he's, um, he's one of the most well-known atheists uh, around at the moment. And he, he's written a number of books. He's written this book called The God Delusion. And in, in this God Delusion, um, what you will see, I'm just going to read you an excerpt. It's on page 77, um, but it'll come up on the screen. Richard Dawkins echoes the words of Justin Martyr 2,000 years later. And this is, this is what he says. He says, I found it an amusing strategy when asked whether I am an atheist to point out that the questioner is also an atheist. You're kind of like, hang on, what? And then he goes on. Um, when considering Zeus, Apollo, Amon-Ra, Mithras, Baal, Thor, some of you didn't know that Thor was like a god. Now, like, you finally, like, Marvel didn't just make it up. Like, he legit, they thought he was a god. Thor, Wotan, the golden calf, and the flying spaghetti monster. In other words, he's saying, hey, look, I'm an atheist just like you. You don't believe in those gods. I don't believe in those gods either. And then he wraps it up this way. He says, I just go one god further. And essentially... What Justin Martyr is saying and what Richard Dawkins is saying when he echoes the words of Justin Martyr is he's addressing a tension that we all feel at some stage. And he's addressing a struggle that we all go through when we begin to ask these big questions of life. And that's this, that we all have gods that we struggle to believe in. We might struggle to believe in these gods for a whole heap of different reasons. We're going to talk about some of them tonight. But if we're honest... There are some conceptions of God that we really struggle to believe in. And there are some ways of thinking about the world that we, we struggle and say, you know what, I, I just can't buy into that. And in case you have to leave early, I say something that offends you or, you know, you're really, really hungry, like Clarissa said, we're getting out of here at 7.30 and you were like, my feeding time is 7, like I need to leave. Like, 
I want to tell you the bottom line, the big idea that if you leave here tonight and you take nothing else away, I want you to take this away. That maybe the gods that you struggle to believe in never existed to begin with. Maybe the gods that you struggle to believe in and that you wrestle with and that you push back against and that you've had shown to you, maybe the reason that you struggle to believe in them is because they never, ever existed to begin with. Because let's be honest, for, for a lot of us in the room tonight, we have had an imprint of Christianity kind of put on us. And you may have got that imprint from a whole heap of, of different ways. Maybe some of you had an imprint of Christianity put on you because you went to church when you were little. And that was kind of where your imprint came from. You went to church growing up, and so you had a, a, a special way of thinking, a special way of like looking at things. Maybe, unfortunately for you, your imprint of Christianity was when you were walking down Queen Street Mall, you're when you're at the coast, and there's one of those people with the boards strapped on them, and they were saying offensive things that they shouldn't have been saying, and, and that's your imprint. And if that's your imprint, I get why you don't come to church. I totally understand it. Maybe for some of you, your imprint comes another way, like you've got a friend who's, you got a friend who's a follower of Jesus, and it kind of makes sense, like they seem normal, but then you've got that work colleague, and they're kind of weird. And you're trying to like, oh man, I don't know, like why is one person this way? Why is one person a different way? Like I am just kind of struggling to get this. And I want to ask you a question that will help you begin to think about what we're going to talk about tonight. And it's this. Where did your understanding of God come from? We acknowledge, hey, I've got these imprints of Christianity, I've got these imprints of God through, through different avenues. But, but where did your understanding of God come from? Because if we're honest, we've collected our understanding of God oftentimes through followers, through what we see on the news, maybe through some of our interactions. And what if, what if the God that you're mad at, what if the God that you've pushed back against, what if the God that you really have some questions and some issues with, what if the God that you've, you've struggled to believe in all these years never existed to begin with? What if he never existed? So tonight, tonight, we're going to do something really controversial and we're not going to open the Bible. Um, don't worry, it'll come in the weeks to come. But what I, what I want to do tonight is I want to look at an, a couple of gods that never existed to begin with. And if you're here tonight and you've pushed back against church and you've pushed back against following Jesus and, and, and one of those reasons is because of one of these gods and the good news is that that God didn't exist, never existed and you should put that God in the trash can where he or she or it belongs. So the first, uh, the first God we're going to look at is our superhero God. Superhero God is, is this God that we kind of make up, uh, this, this idea in our minds where this superhero God kind of swoops in to save the day. Whenever anything bad looks like it could happen, superhero God comes in and he, he or she saves the day. Everyone lives happily ever after. And then something comes along in our life and a, and a bad thing happens to a good person. And all of a sudden we're kind of like, does God exist? I'm not sure if I can buy it. Come back next week, we're going to spend an entire night talking about this, but, but, but just for, so um, you can kind of see where I'm going, I want, I want to show you an argument that has never, ever, ever been made for God. And the argument has, that has never, ever been made for God is this. It says, a good God would not allow bad things to happen to good people. And we draw that conclusion because when we looked at the world and when we looked at the world around us, we've said that since bad things never happen to good people, there must be a good God. No one throughout the history of time has ever looked around and gone, oh, there's a group of people that follow this God and no bad things ever happen to them. 
I should jump on board and follow them and then no bad things will happen to me either. No one has ever made that argument for God. No one's ever said that if you're a good person, bad things will not happen to you. And then building off of that, who told you that that kind of God existed? Who told you that a God exists that would never let bad things happen to good people? Because if you look at the center of the Christian faith, if the center of Christianity was based around the fact that bad things never happen to good people, it would have never got off the ground. Because at the center of the Christian faith is what we celebrated last week at Easter, where we believe as Christians that not only a bad thing happened to a good person, but the worst thing, my worst things, your worst things, will put on the best person, Jesus. And he bore our worst things to make a way back to God. At the heart of Christianity is not that good things happen, that bad things will never happen to good people, it's that the worst thing happened to the best person. The other God, uh, the next God that you should stop believing in altogether is uh, what I like to call Netflix God. <laughs> Netflix God is kind of that God that just does whatever you want when, when you want it to do. Like, you know, when you got like through Netflix, I just want to watch this series, bang, now. And this kind of God is based on the premise that, look, if I was in my situation and I was God, and I could see things like my situation, and I asked God this request, He would answer the way I want to, like the way I wanted Him to. It's, it seems a reasonable request. This God answers reasonable requests. But the problem is that if we're honest, some of the things we, we want are not really what we need. Some of us are like, oh God, I want this right now. If I got what I wanted when I was in high school, I may not be here right now. I wanted, as my first car, like a red Lamborghini. Like that was it. No one in their right mind should give like a person who's just got their license a red Lamborghini. Like that's just, that's just destined for trouble. But some of you know what I'm talking about. Because you've been in relationships and you've made job decisions and you've changed circumstances based on what you wanted. And you look back retrospectively and you said, oh, I wish someone had told me that what I wanted would not get me to where I actually need and where I actually want to go. What I want right now may not be the best for the long term. Netflix God is a God that doesn't exist. The next God is our boyfriend-girlfriend God. Boyfriend-girlfriend God is kind of that, um, this, is, this is the God that's based up in your feelings. I just need to feel God. You know when you kind of like meet those people and you can tell they've just been dating for a little, little while, uh, usually in high school, sometimes outside of high school, it's like, oh my goodness, I love him so much. What do you love about him? Oh, his eyes. And every time you ask them for like some substance, like what do you really like? Like, oh, just his hair, the way it blows in the wind, like it's mesmerizing. And you're just like, what? And maybe for some of you, you're, you've been to church uh, for your life, like for a long period of time, or, or you always hear Christians talk about the fact that I just feel God. I feel that God is present. And everyone around you is feeling God, and they've got their hands up, and you're just like, that's weird. Like, I don't, I'm not feeling it. I'm not feeling it. And someone told you that in order for God to exist, you have to feel God constantly. But did you know that we are least aware of some of the things that are most constant in our life? Think about it. 
You are least aware of some of the things that are most constant in your life. When you wake up every morning, I bet that for the vast majority of you who hold Australian citizenship, I bet that you do not wake up and go, yes, I feel so Australian this morning. I, I know that for some of you, like for those of, uh, of us who are married, I know that you don't wake up every morning and go, I feel married. I feel the marriage. Like, yes. Some of those of you who are in a relationship, you don't wake up and go, I feel like I'm in a relationship. Like, what? Because for us, we are least aware in some of the things that are most constant in our life. And whoever told you that you always have to feel God was wrong. And that God, the boyfriend-girlfriend God, should be thrown in the bin where it belongs. This God, this is um, where it gets a little bit serious, because uh, the next God we're going to talk about is guilt God. And honestly, if you walked away from church because of this God, I'm glad you did. If you walked away from church because every time you had an idea or every time you had a question or every time you had a thought, people made you feel guilty and you got out good. Because this God tries to control you and manipulate you through guilt or fear. If it's something fun, the answer is no. If it's something sexual, the answer is definitely not. If the answer is like alcohol involved, no. If the answer is like going to around people who might be like doing drugs, I have no, no. Every answer is no. Can we have fun? No. This God wants to control you and wants to manipulate you through guilt or fear. This God loves you, but this God does not like you. This God loves you, but this God honestly does not like you. He doesn't like the way you think. He doesn't like the, the way you act, but he loves you. We're getting towards the end. The, 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 one of the last gods, we've got two more left that, um, that we're going to talk about in a couple of weeks. It's the anti-science God. The anti-science God. Now, for some of us, we grew up in church, and you, maybe you grew up in church, and you got to an age where you started to ask some questions. And what you started to ask were perfectly legitimate questions. They were fact-based questions. But what happened is that in answer to your question, in answer to your fact-based question, you got a faith-based answer. In answer, in, and so, so you started to say, hey, what about this? And you asked a question maybe about how the world began, how everything happened, and you were told, quit thinking, start believing. If people didn't like the response, they would say, well, the Bible says... And essentially what you were told and the message that was communicated to you was if you want to like marry this God and this science stuff, you have to check your brain at the door because science does not compute with religion. Well, I want to tell you that at Beyond and across Christianity in general, across the ages, Christianity has thought that God or science is a false alternative. God versus science, God or science, we've... Christians across the ages has all, have always viewed that as a false alternative. Because historically, Christians have always, always thought that when new discoveries in science are made, when new frontiers are pushed to the boundary in science, that we learn more and more about how God created the world. We learn more about how intricate the world is, how intricate our bodies are. We learn more about how when, we, when science develops. And so, in fact, it might even interest you, just a little side fun fact, you can take this away. So I learned this at church tonight. Um, the head of the Human Genome Project, so the person responsible for mapping the DNA of the human genome when it was uh, really big a couple of years ago, his name was Francis Collins, and he actually was a Christian who believed that by mapping the DNA, we would get to explore and we would get to know more about how God created us. You should throw the anti-science God in the bin. 
the last god, Gap God. There's, there's probably more, but I can only think of six. Gap God. This is, um, this is the God that conveniently shows up in the gaps where uh, you don't have an explanation. Some of, the, uh, some of the, the most ground level examples for this are, oh my goodness, I was driving in the car park the other day and I really needed a space really, really quickly. So I said, God, would you please give me a space? And right as I prayed that prayer, someone just reversed out and there was a space. And so we just insert God in the gaps. We said, I don't actually know how that happened, but I don't know why that happened, but I'm going to insert God into the gap. Oh my goodness, you'll never believe it. I was at this restaurant at the same time my friend was at the restaurant and we didn't, we didn't plan to be at the restaurant at the same time and we, don't know, we didn't talk to each other, but we were there and it must have just been a God thing. It must have just, or you just went to the restaurant at the same time, like together because you were hungry. I don't know. But, but oftentimes, and, and this, this, may, um, this may sound a little harsh, but I promise it's not. Oftentimes, unexplainable is not evidence for God. Unexplainable is often evidence for our lack of, uh, sorry, is rather evidence for our ignorance. Unexplainable is not evidence for God. Unexplainable is evidence for our ignorance. If we don't know how something happens, we should not just say, oh, put God in the gap. Oh, put God in the gap. And in fact, I, I actually think that a lot of it, a lot of the reason we put God in the gaps is because some of us are afraid that if we started to explain everything, that that would explain away God. But if everything were explained and explainable, that would still not explain away God. What do I mean by that? If everything were explained and explainable, that would not explain away God. Now, I understand that this analogy is, is going to have a, a... So don't take it to its logical conclusion, but, but just for the purposes of tonight. This is an iPad. I am not technologically advanced, okay? I really, I, I use this like to, to not, nowhere near its full capacity. But if someone who knew how to use this came along and looked at it and took it apart into all its components, could tell me all the intricacies of it, how the computer systems work, how the glass screen work, how the touch ID work, and how everything, uh, how it can hear my voice, how the Siri recognizes everything that's saying half the time and computes it to what we need, that would still not explain away the fact that someone needed to create this in the first place. The more and more we learn about the world and the more and more we can explain does not explain away God. And you know this practically. If you're feeling sick and you don't know the answer, you don't say, well, it must be God. No, you go, I need to go to the doctor and I need this explained right now. I need someone to tell me what's going on so I can figure out how to treat my symptoms. So these gods that we've been talking about tonight, these, these six gods, the gap god, the guilt god, the Netflix god, the superhero god, the boyfriend-girlfriend god, the anti-science god, these are not evidences for God. These are not arguments to say, hey, hey, look, all these gods don't exist, therefore, therefore the Christian God must exist. No, no, that's not all it is. All these gods are evidence for is our unmet expectations. That's all these gods prove, the fact that we have unmet expectations. And they're gods that you should continue to disbelieve if you've never believed in them. And if tonight you've come in and you, you're kind of like, well, that's the way I thought God was. I thought he controlled me through guilt. I thought he was all about the superhero God. If that's you tonight, then the good news is you don't have to believe in that God anymore because that God never existed to begin with. 
So the question is, where do we go from here? What, what, is, what does it look like um, throughout the rest of the week? And, and where are we left? Now that we know these gods that don't exist, what happens? Well, um, we have this thing here at Beyond, it's called For Monday. Because we believe there's no point coming to church on Sunday if it's not helpful, uh, if it, it doesn't uh, uh, change your life for uh, the, the week ahead. And this week, because uh, I know you guys are so smart, I've kind of got two parts to the For Monday. So you guys are so smart that you get two parts. So the first one, I want you to ask yourself this question. Where did your view of the God that you struggled to believe in originate? When you think of maybe this Netflix God, this superhero God, this anti-science God, these gods you struggle to believe in, where did that view of God originate from? Who told you that those gods existed and that that was the way that God was? And as you wrestle through that this week, as you kind of dive down, just spend five or ten minutes. What I want you to do, the second part, is to come back next week. And as, as you come back next week, our hope is that in a couple of minutes, five or ten or maybe longer, that you start to wrestle with this this week. That you'll begin to understand where your view of God comes from. And maybe, just maybe, that you or someone close to you put their expectations onto God. That when you were growing up, you had an expectation of what God should do, how God should act, and you transfer that onto God. Or you saw someone else had an expectation of God, and so you took that expectation and you put it onto God yourself, and then God failed to meet your expectation. And if the God that you struggle to believe in is one of those six gods, maybe it's because you've placed an unrealistic and unmet expectation on God and an expectation that God never said about himself to begin with. So the good news for us is that over the next couple of weeks, we're going to move on and we're going to start to wrestle with some of the questions that you've sent in. And the good news over the next couple of weeks is we're going to meet and we're going to give you an opportunity to meet a God who not only meets your expectations, but one who exceeds your expectations. So we'd love to invite you back next week. But let me just pray for us all tonight. Lord, we thank you so much that you're not a God who tries to control us through guilt. You're not a God who tries to manipulate our feelings through fear. And Lord, and, and while at times it, it may be hard for us to get our head around you, Lord, at some point we have to recognize that you are God and we are merely humans. And there's going to be a point where we can't understand everything there is to understand. But Lord, we believe that we can understand and we can know you in a very personal way. And we can know a lot about you and there are a lot of questions that we ask that have answers to. And so Lord, I want to pray for anyone here tonight who maybe they came in to church and they were pushed away for, uh, for whatever reason, one of these gods that didn't exist. They were pushed away because they were always made to feel guilty. They were pushed away because they always asked fact-based questions and they weren't satisfied with face-based answers. And Lord, I pray for people, for everyone, anyone here tonight who's maybe beginning to... to the reason that they push back against you is because they had some unmet expectations that they placed on your shoulders. And Lord, this week I pray that we would begin to drop some of those unrealistic and those unmet expectations. Because there are those of us who have followed you and we would say, yeah, we're followers of Jesus and, and we have uh, followed you for years. But if we're honest, we still place 
expectations on you that are not you. They're, they're what we want you to be like and how we want you to act and the things you, we want you to do and the way we want you to respond. So Lord, for those of us who have, uh, have been Christians for a long time, help us to also shed some of those expectations this week. And may we come back together next week with a, with a good launching pad as we realize that some of the gods we struggle to believe in never, ever existed to begin with. But we thank you that you exist and we thank you that you are the one true God. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.